I got into a state where almost like I suppose it was like maybe a flow state I don't know like I felt like I was like almost like hovering above my body time slowed down I was like fuck it's the most amazing feeling I ever felt Hey guys, and welcome to the Take Flight podcast with me, Mark Whittle, where we speak with the best of the best to hear what they feel led to their success so we can learn from their successes and incorporate these winning practices into our own lives. Take Flight was born out of my own frustrations with seeing people, including myself, follow a path that's been created for us. And the story pretty much goes like this. Go to school, go to university, get good grades, get a good job, earn as much money as you can, buy a big house and a nice car so you look important. I want to encourage you to follow your passions and achieve the things you could only dream about achieving and live the life you could only dream about living. Not just thinking about the financial outcome, but the actual act of what it is you're doing day to day and whether or not that's in line with who you want to be. And who better to hear from and take inspiration from than professional big wave surfer and world record holder for the biggest wave ever surfed, Andrew Cotton. Cotty went from being a plumber and fitting toilets in Barnstable, Devon to quit in plumbing altogether to chase his long-term dream of being a professional big wave surfer. We talk all about his journey of becoming pro, how he broke the world record at the time by surfing the biggest wave ever surfed at around 85 feet tall. It's absolutely insane, he's a madman. But we also talk in depth about his biggest obstacle to date. In 2017, Cotty dropped into a 65 foot wave in Portugal, going around 40 miles an hour, which believe it or not is fairly routine for him, But the wave suddenly changed. It swallowed him up and spat him out, ultimately breaking his back in the process. There is an insane video showing the full incident where Cotty gets smashed by this wave. You can see the jet skis coming in in between sets, trying to get in and rescue him. And Cotty's just in the sea, bobbing up and down, face down. It's it's crazy. I'll put the video in my Instagram so you guys can see that. But all in all, an amazing story of overcoming an obstacle and one that is hugely inspiring for anybody who's facing the challenge. We talk about some of the fascinating breathing techniques that Cotter uses, including breath holds. We talk about Wim Hof, whether you've heard about that or not, which funnily enough, I'm about 20, 22 days into doing every morning. It's part of my New Year's resolution and something that makes you feel amazing first thing and makes it much easier to get up and be feeling positive and and energised. And everything Cotty speaks about regarding breathing is mostly to do with performance, but it's a great carry-on from what Rebecca Dennis was talking about in episode 24. We talk about mindset in possibly the most interesting way I've ever heard it spoken about before. Cotty talked about being able to completely switch his mind off and surrender to whatever his environment is. And often with him, it's been stuck under the water for minutes at a time. So survival really kicks in, but the way that he speaks about it is incredible. And he also talks about mindset and how it works in his training. If he's in the swimming pool, swimming underwater, holding his breath, he goes into detail speaking about something called end of the pool syndrome, which I found really, really fascinating. The moment that we look up and see the end of the pool, we all panic, we don't have control of our emotions and we can't get to the end, which is an incredible metaphor for challenges that we have day to day in real life. When we look at the end goal, we can get overwhelmed, we can panic and we don't get there. But by calming down, relaxing, just looking at the black line at the bottom of the pool, slowly swimming to the end, we get there without panicking and we keep control of our emotions. And I thought it was so fascinating to hear how Cotty does this. We also talk about flow state and how he gets into that and the feeling of time slowing down and and the reason that he does this in the first place is searching for that feeling as much as possible. And we talk about so, so much more. A huge shout out to my bro Nathan Jones who introduced me to Cotty over WhatsApp. If you haven't heard from Nathan, his story is insane too. 
That's on episode 15 of this podcast and he broke his back in a plane accident, flying a military plane to Iraq. So when he introduced me over WhatsApp, he aptly named the WhatsApp group Broken Back Mountains, which made me laugh. But a huge thanks to him for introducing us and making this happen. Anyway, way too much for me. Please stay tuned to the end of the episode as part of this 25th episode and actually one year to the day of releasing the podcast. So the one year anniversary, I wanted to do some thank yous to everybody who's helped along the way. I do do this podcast by myself, but I've had so much support from other people and I just wanted to give a quick shout out and thank you to everybody. Without further ado, please enjoy my chat with the world record holding big wave surfer. No, he's not from Hawaii or California. He's one of our own from Barnstable, Devon the legendary Andrew Cotton. Enjoy. Coy, welcome to the Take Fight podcast. Thanks for having me. Mate, thanks so much for coming on. I've been looking forward to doing this. We've been uh, chatting for a little bit and trying to get this podcast in. So excited to be down here in Devon. Lovely place. Yeah, the sun's shining. It's... um is it the second of January? Second of January, I mean, yeah. day, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's amazing. So I came down for New Year, actually. Um, spent a couple of days in Insto and then, yeah, looking forward to getting this podcast in. And uh, I'm going to have to come back to Devon as well. I love it. It's yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, for sure. Are you you from here? Uh, yeah, I, I grew up. I was born in Plymouth, but and then we moved up. This is where my dad was from. Um, so we, we we came from Plymouth to Barnstable, back to Barnstable. Nice. When I was about... I think it was about, I was eight, seven or eight, but it might be a year either side, you know. Yeah. So. Amazing. And you here, spend most of your time here, do you? Yeah, like, you know, like I've, I've grown up here and I've always worked sort of locally, but I've also, you know, travelled quite a lot from the age of like, well, since I left school, actually. Yeah. You know, just like any surfer, you know, you you get that surfing bug and you want to go out and, and explore and yeah. see See what the way is like yeah. elsewhere, you know. And there's much more sun away from Devon in the UK. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although, like, you know, every time I come back, I always get amazed, at, you know, at how how beautiful North Devon is, really. Mm. Like, I don't know if you've done the um, drive from, you go from, like, uh, Braunton through Saunton around to Croyd, which I, de- you, like, especially on a day like today, you should yeah. definitely do it. It's like the coast roads, it's just insane. Like, the views over Saunton and... Down end point as you go into Croyd, it's like, like it's as beautiful as that night. You're like, whoa, yeah, it's nuts. Oh, I have to do that. I mean, even here's amazing though. Looking out the window, like the whole view of this meadow and down into the yeah, down into the estuary and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so good. Nice. All right, mate. So uh, let's get straight into it. Yeah. So the podcast is called Take Flight. It's about following your dreams, following your passion, and taking that leap of faith into something you've always wanted to do. You were a plumber originally yeah. who dreamed of becoming a professional surfer. And ultimately became the world record holder for at one point. What? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> carry on. Yeah, controversial. <laughs> yes. Um, for riding the biggest wave record at the time, like eighty feet. Yeah, it was never was actually a re- record. Um, I think the, the thing it got reported as a record okay. in the papers and stuff like that. Oh, I don't even know how they measure waves and stuff like that. Yeah. But it was never officially a record. It just said, "Oh, this could be the biggest wave yeah. ever." Okay. So that's how that sort of got like, out there and stuck, you know. And, and that's the thing with like all that sort of stuff, you know, especially wave wave measurements and big wave surfing, is that all, everyone the first thing that everyone wants to know is like what's the biggest wave you've ever mm. surfed? And uh, I don't know, that's just pretty big. I, like because I like, there's no actual official way to properly measure it. Yeah. So what, yeah. What do they say? You measure it from like the peak to the peak to the trough, but then you can always argue 
Well, where where's the, the bottom of the wave? Yeah. A wave can vary in size from up to thirty percent bigger or smaller depending on the angle that the, the photo is taken. Right. So you know, so there's so many variabilities. Yeah. You know, I'd say it's almost impossible to measure a wave off a photo. Yeah, I suppose the ones when they're as big as the ones you surf as well, thirty percent is quite a big difference. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, you, you're talking like a wave could be a wave could be you know, sixty feet look, look like ninety or yeah. or, or thirty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, mate, it's insane. So, I think what, what I wanted to get to there was really why surfing. Why was that always the dream? And then ultimately, what led you down the path into originally doing plumbing? Plumbing. Okay, so um, surfing was introduced by my dad, which was probably it. Kind of, we, we moved from like uh, Plymouth up to to Barnsley, where he was from, and he was like, okay, right. Well, I didn't really want to move like any eight-year-old kid, mm. you know, like friends at school, at school mm. and stuff. And and his sort of bribery was that I'd buy a surfboard and take you surfing. And then pretty much from that moment there, I was pretty much hooked. Mm. Like I loved it. And then it just became, I became infatuated, you know, like obsessed with it. And Did you do other sports as well? Um, I, I did, but everything sort of dropped away and surfing always took priority. Yeah. I kind of like, Dabble, like I was quite sporty, I liked swimming and did water polo and did surf life saving and whenever you start doing those sports and you, you, know, you get into the clubs and then you do your competitions at the weekend and I was like, actually this is taking up surfing time, you know, like, mm-hmm. so <laughs> it all went back to like trying to like spend more time in the sea yeah. and it, it was kind of like going through school, a lot of my teachers sort of said that if I'd thought about like my maths or my English as much as I thought about surfing, I'd probably probably all right but um yeah mathematician yeah but i i I never did you know like i I, it was always you know that that blinkered obsession yeah i think my 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 parents were kind of like oh god we got i think it was my dad's biggest regret was like getting me that surfboard you know like because well because you know like they're like you know back then it's like i wasn't i wasn't good enough to be a professional surfer as in contest surfer like doing you know like i did contests locally and I, and I won a few of the, the ones locally and but on a national level whenever really did very well and at that point there big wave surfing you know it wasn't a sport or a, you know like <laughs> wasn't a genre of surfing really you yeah. know it's just like so and yeah. were you interested in big wave surfing from the beginning like so so when the waves get big locally here uh at croyd say um most people go to, to putzborough and then when it gets really, really big, everyone goes around the corner, like up towards Lim- Linton, Limmouth, you know, like to try and get smaller waves or more manageable waves. And I did find that um, from quite a young age, like 14, 15, that the bigger the waves got, the more I enjoyed it. Mm. And I was quite pretty gun high. And then it was when when I, I left school and I kind of was like, you know, I wanted to become a professional surfer and... It was very much like, well, you can't, it's not, it's not a job, it's not, you know. So then I looked at ways that I could still spend a lot of time surfing. Mm. So um, I got a job in a surfboard factory. Um, and, and for me, that like working in the surfboard factory was, well, it's like being a professional surfer, you know. Like um, the schedule of the week was done on workload. So you could come and go as you're pretty much pleased. Because I was just basically... Well, a lot of the time I, I started sweeping up and then fixing boards and then I was glassing boards and then sanding and then, you know, all those sort of, you know, it's, it's hard, dirty work, but it meant I could surf whenever I want and the factory would close down between 
just before Christmas and would come back at March, just before Easter. Mm. So you've got three months to travel then. And I'll have cash and I'll come straight back into a job. So, so I, I did a lot of traveling from like 16 through to like 25 every, every year, you know, three months. Mm. And then straight back in. It's quite a good little cycle. Where was your favorite place that you went? Uh, I, I ended up going, like a lot of my mates used to go to Indonesia and, and places like that where the waves tend to be a bit smaller but really perfect and beautiful. I did a couple of those trips early on and then and then just found myself wanting to push it, you know, like so I went to ended up going to Hawaii uh when I was seventeen for a couple of months by myself. Loved that and I suppose that's when I started experiencing big waves and whereabouts in Hawaii did you go? Um I went to Oahu, stayed in the backpackers um Mark Food backpackers near Waimea and just cruised really and surfed all the spots and you ended up finding you know like I suppose there's a lot of you know Hawaii it's like you know the proving ground or whatever you want to call it but a lot of energy in the water and the waves get a lot bigger and and again like a couple of times my mates were with me and they're all very comfortable and very good in small waves Mm. but when the waves got bigger our ability started evening out a bit more Mm. You know, so although that they were beating me in contests at home and like they were technically way, way better surfers than me, when the waves got bigger, they weren't as good. Why do you think that was that? Uh, I think it's just because it's about, you know, my, I had ability to surf, you know, I could, I could stand up and I could string a few turns together and, and get barreled, but I wasn't really technically, like, I'm not very gymnastic or like, do you know what I mean? Like, big wave surfing is a lot more about, you know, you still need that technical ability to surf, but a lot of it's more of a head game. Hmm. If you want that wave, you've really got to... Because everything, when you're paddling into a big wave, and it doesn't matter how big, because a big wave for everyone's different. You know, it could be four foot, it could be 10 foot, it could be 100 foot. It doesn't, hmm. doesn't matter the size of the wave. It's a big wave, yeah. But everything in your, your mind is telling you not to put yourself there because it's coming towards you. It looks like it's going to break. You, everything you want to do is going to... You want to paddle away from it, you know, like, or... But to turn round underneath it and paddle in and then stand up and then try and ride it and move in lump of waters, it's kind of intimidating. And my mates, like some of them could, you know, but I, I just found that I was able to do that. I loved it, you yeah. know. And we ended up surfing some crazy waves, I suppose, at that point f- for me. Like, and it was just because I, like, I loved it. It was just mm. like, I thought it was nothing. You just get sunset and no one else out. It was like gnarly, you know, like, and then... Looking back, it's kind of pretty gun ho I suppose, because there's no safety vests and no, you know, like, just went out and <laughs> and had a lot of fun, you know, so. Amazing. Wow, that's so good. I love that, because basically you're you're pushing against everything your body and your mind's telling you not to do and you're just yeah, and, and, it. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is that you, the first time, you know, you go out and out of your comfort zone and you might get one wave a second time, you get a bit more comfortable and find your confidence and you get a couple of good waves and then... Then you can stop pushing. You can add on that like mm. constantly. Yeah, like real tangible feedback on each. Yeah, time. and um, and it's quite it's quite interesting how quickly like you can build on that constantly. Which is which if you're Hawaiian, a lot of the Hawaiians do. But coming from England, it's kind of hard to do. Yeah, and and Europe in general was a little bit but like behind bigger waves, I suppose. So. Yeah, yeah, they got like the legends. I, I've been there myself actually. I went to Kauai and right. Oh, yeah. um, Titus Kinamaka. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like one of the legends of big waves, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. No, there's the, like, you know, and, and I think that's the thing 
everyone like if you surf and you you know you're on those islands pretty much everyone is a big wave surfer yeah. you know, or has experience of it you know and which is amazing but then you know it's so yeah there's a lot of a lot of people out there you know in those big waves but also it helps push everyone in it and it's good to see really yeah no it's amazing so so did you pick plumbing as a career then after the after working in the factory bit did you pick that to give you the flexibility to carry on surfing yeah so uh, I got to about 25 and um so I'd done a good stint so I'd, I never went to college university left school at 16 and went straight to the factory and I got like the the classic I think my dad was just like you know like you can't keep doing this you know mm. you, you're 25 you, you haven't got any savings you obviously you know no mortgage i, I I think I earned like a crappy car or something and, and I was seeing my mates settle down a bit more and and he was just like, you know, you got no education, you've been working in a basically a part time job and you know, if you don't sort your shit out, you know, it's gonna it could be a tough tough future, you know. And and I kind of was like, uh oh, I sort of understood where he's coming from and you know, like I suppose he's just like any parent, you know, and I can I can relate to that now. That I've got two young kids, and and so yeah, so I decided to do I did a, a plumbing course, eating even course. It was actually at the time I don't know if you can remember. Um, I think England or the UK had a, a shortage of plumbers or some sort mm. of like that. So it was like it was in the news that like we needed <laughs> tradesmen. So I signed up, yeah, and then I did the the college course. It was like four, I think it was two, the first two years were were evenings like two evenings a week and then the second two years it was more like an apprenticeship mm. like actually full-time on the job yeah so i did that did you at any point feel like that's your future that's what you're going to be doing yeah yeah like I, I kind of like threw myself into it and you know the first two years was kind of playing at college because you know it's not the reality i still then i was still working in the factory doing doing the plumbing of the evenings and then you know, it was kind of, you know, testing it, please. And then the second two years actually were like apprenticeship. Mm. And then it's, yeah, you're working on site all the time and it's like, okay, right, this is it. And I hate, kind of hated it and I kind of liked it. I liked being on site. I liked like banter and it was like <laughs> good stuff. Like it was, the money was amazing. But I kind of, what it was, I think it was at the point where I actually like finished the apprenticeship and I got a full-time job. I was actually working for a underfloor heating company who did solar panels as well and we worked in like teams and we worked around the, the whole of the UK so Monday you'd get your job and you'd go to wherever you know and you'd be on site sometimes all week and then that, at that point then I was I was surfing wasn't surfing much you'd come back and surfing's like that thing it's not like you know if you're into football or gym or I don't know like any other sport you can just do it whenever but mm. surfing it's always you have to keep an eye on the conditions and everything has to marry up so mm. like sometimes surf be pumping all week I'd miss it because I'd be away come back at the weekend surf be crap you wouldn't want to go in you know you just you, you, you I was looking at like weeks weeks turn into to months and you're like shit I haven't even been surfing you know like mm. am I gonna really be doing this until I'm 60 you know you sort of kind of ask yourself those questions you know like, God, if I am, like, this is just going to be the worst life ever. <laughs> you know, like, it's just, I was just like, it's kind of like soul-destroying. I'm like, what am I actually going to, like, is this it? I suppose because I had such a good 
flexible lifestyle for 10 years since from leaving school was even harder you know like yeah. and it's like shit I can't do this there's no way I can do this yeah so what was it like so, so you obviously got those nagging thoughts in the back of your head and you were doing the plumbing thing you committed to it and then you had that I guess it's like a moment of realisation where you're like nah was, was there like a moment where someone even you went surfing someone noticed you you got a sponsorship or you went to a contest um, or like no like I'd always say you know like by now I suppose I'd had a, rep, a reputation I suppose within the surf scene because I'd been worked in the surf industry so long um, I had some good contacts so I, I was known within the surf scene but I suppose you know that was never I never really honestly thought I could ever make any money in that scene so um, it was always just a passion. I think I was around about 29 now. I kind of just decided that, okay, right, well, I've got... I think I did... I'd worked properly for a year. I had some cash. I spoke to... I had a, a mate in Ireland who was... Uh, who's also... Like, I, I knew him from... He used to do, like, the, the British tour, BPSA tour. And I known him from competitive surfing. And he was... He was a queen big wave surfer as well. And... And he sort of said, oh, you know, like, I'd always believed and always been told or thought that to surf big waves, you have to go to Hawaii or America or Australia, which obviously is really, really expensive. And it takes a long time. And so, and he was very much like, okay, no, no, we got some amazing waves in Ireland. If you thought about rather than spending loads of money going long haul, you know, looking, you know, what's on your on your doorstep, you know, in Ireland, what was a 45 minute flight? Mm. It's... Uh, then it's like a four-hour drive to the west coast, and um, I think that's what sort of changed it. And we started hitting up uh, swells. So if a swell looked like a swell was going to be big, I was trying to like hit the swells, get you know surf, and then come back. So sometimes you didn't miss any days off work if it was the weekend. You know, sometimes I have to take a day off work or something like that. It was your firm all right of it. Uh, the thing is, is that. So we're talking about the wind, like the big wave seasons between like October through to March, you know, mm. and we're talking about one or two swells. So it was like one or two times, you know, and it didn't really interfere with work, but um, I only did that very briefly. And then I was like, actually, do you know what? I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to just going to quit. And, um, no way. and I decided to quit and restructure. The idea was to get a summer job. And this really sort of, my parents are like, what the hell are you doing? It's like midlife crisis at 29, you know. I quit a plumbing job and I applied to work for the RNLI uh, on the beach yeah. at Croyd. And a lifeguard, as a lifeguard. A lifeguard, yeah. And I figured, okay, right, if I get a lifeguard job, they'll train me up on all my CPR and all my life saving skills, mm. which is ideal for big wave surfing. Yeah. They'll train me to use all like the, the PWCs and all the stuff that I want to use anyway. Mm. Do you know it's the best job ever like mm. you, you obviously it's serious and you're, you're saving lives at sea but you're training you're you know you're with like-minded people that they're okay they don't want to be big wave surfers but they all want to be fit they all want to swim super fast um, they all want to be really hot on their on their water skills so I could surf I could train and I could earn money yeah and I and the season in uh, North Devon for the lifeguards is like March till September which like Perfect. I was like shit and then I could finish that and then I could sit at home do a bit of part time plumbing and labouring for people here and there and then I could hit the swells when they get big hmm. and try and surf so that's that's what I did after the first year of 
of uh, yeah, graduating my plumber. Right, that's mad. So yeah. you did four years training. Yeah, and, and I, then well, one year working. Yeah, and then we're like, nah, it's not for me. Yeah. What What was it going? What was going through your minds then, and and what made you actually commit and like take the leap of faith? I didn't want to be that person saying oh, I could have done that, and the thought of being in Barnstable or just fitting toilets or underfloor heating for the rest of my life, like for the next. 30 40 years I just couldn't face it mm. and and there's like there's nothing wrong with like I don't like not like saying I like plumbing shit because those guys that I work with which were really super passionate about plumbing and they loved it they breathed plumbing and that's great yeah you know and, and that's and, and if I if I breathe if I love plumbing that much then you wouldn't you know wouldn't look elsewhere you know yeah. like but I didn't <laughs> I fucking hated it <laughs> <laughs> you know like it's yeah. just like so then you've got to question why you're doing it. What would you say to people now who are doing jobs that pay them well but hate it and are thinking about leaving or doing something else? I think just do it before you get trapped. Yeah. Because, you know, you, then I think if I hadn't done it then, like two years down the line, you're relying on that money and then you, you get trapped into that situation, don't you? Yeah. You know, and it's like, shit, you know, like... And it's not, you know, you, you, it's a punt, isn't it? You, you try it, you, you, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, yeah. you know? So obviously the lifeguarding then was paying for you to keep that lifestyle and it was perfectly married up with the winter time for you to go and get the swells. Yeah. At which stage could you then leave the lifeguarding and like financially be comfortable to go full-time? Safe? It was a long... I lifeguarded for um, for about eight years. Really? Yeah. So I think I was like the, the oldest lifeguard. <laughs> the oldest lifeguard in, in Croyd. But um, yeah, I, I, I managed to pick up a few sponsors. Who was your first one and how, what was that like? The first one I got was a company called Analog. Yeah. Um, goggles and sunglasses uh, no well they actually did it's actually Snowbrand it's owned by Burton mm. but they just launched a, a surf like a, a surf side of it um, and I got picked up by them uh, when they launched and we had a really good we ended up getting a really good, having a really good relationship and they were pretty, they started paying like a little bit of cash and it started making everything become that little bit easier mm. And motivating, and they support, and obviously then you get also the, the product or whatever, and that went on for about four or five years. Nice. So yeah, I kind of got like almost you get a bit complacent, then you get used to sort of that extra income, and and that's when I sort of obviously, you know, I met my Katie, my wife, and then we had kids, and you know, and I, I suppose I became very comfortable working as a lifeguard. Mm. I, I suppose I was semi-professional surfing, working as a lifeguard. I had quite a comfortable lifestyle. Katie works for like self-employed as well, and you know it's all kind of kind of easy. And then um, out of the blue, Analog pulled out of surfing, mm-hmm. which left me. I think I was coming into into the season, and then I just found out. Well, usually you have like a, a rolling contract. Um, I just found out, you know, over email. I think it was like, you know, sorry, yeah, no. contract's void, done. And then I was into a point where, like, okay, right, I'm married, I've got uh, two kids. And, yeah, now, then it got sucked to get a little bit real. And I think that's when I had a, probably the most important conversation of my career. And that's with, with Katie one afternoon in the kitchen. We were renting a property in Braunton. And, and, and it's, it's funny because I, I get quite stressed about cash and you know you, you, like as a, as a bloke you feel like or a husband or a father you, you feel that responsibility mm. on your shoulders you know mm. 
Whereas Katie can be quite blasé about things like that and not worry about them. Whereas I can't worry about that sort of stuff. And I was trying to like say, you know, okay, what should we do? Thinking that she'll say, well, you're going to have to go back and get a proper job, you know, like, because that would be the most sensible thing to do. <laughs> and um, and she just sort of kind of threw it back at me. I was like, oh, what do you really want to do? And I was like, well, without even sort of thinking or like making it sound too cheesy or anything, like, I actually I said, oh, I don't want us to surf the biggest waves in the world. And that was it. And she's just like, oh, you just got to make that happen then. You know, like, just don't worry about it. And you can make it happen. Because that's a make or break situation because she mm. said, well, actually, dash your tools off, sort your shit out, get it back into Barnstable. Yeah. You know, and start start fixing toilets <laughs> because that's the only, that is always the great thing about the trade is that you can always pick it up whenever yeah. you want or whatever you need. Mm. And she could have said that, you know, and she and she didn't. It's interesting as well that you said it came immediately after like a point of being very comfortable. I feel like a lot of people are secure and safe in what they do, but then when analog pulled out, it was kind of that situation when you're like, all right, what do I do now? I've got to make a decision one way or the other. Yeah, yeah, those crossroads, didn't they? You know, like. There is responsibilities, you know, we can, like my parents like probably, th- probably actually say, you know, that's really irresponsible or, you know, you know, it's kind of like a, you're playing with your whole family's like life, you know, like, but at the same time, it's just, I think, you, you know, you, sometimes you just have to make those choices, you know, and, and it's a gamble, isn't it? It's interesting, I think it, um, it worked really well because the actual, the whole surf industry at this point is going through turmoil you know like a lot of the big brands are dropping sponsors and no there's not much money in it and my friend was working in a surf shop just in Braunton and that was I think it was going bankrupt or it was like and he had just bought a camera and we came up with this idea that we were gonna um document and make videos we wrote like a a one pager about the thing and um it was like you, you know, we hammed it up a bit, you know, like, <laughs> you know, and he was basically going to follow me to surf the biggest wave in the world ever. Was this like the days of YouTube and stuff or how did it? <laughs> yeah, well, we we want to, we started to go to channels. We went to like, first of all, we went to Red Bull and like loads, and then we went to Epic TV and in the end, Epic TV bought into it. But we went to loads of different like, like brands and stuff and often you would find yourself in London speaking to non-surfers and, you're saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to go and set the biggest wave ever. And they go, okay, that's fine. Uh, what time and what date is it? And you're like, oh, I don't know. And they're like, what do you mean? Like, you've, you know, it's in your one pager that you're going to do this. And you go, oh, yeah, but we're waiting for the weather. And like, <laughs> and it, obviously, then it's nothing's a given, you know, like, so then they're like, going, what? So we want us to invest in something that might not happen. You know, it's like, you're dreaming. And luckily, for some, somehow, um, Epic TV said, yeah. And then they, so they bought into it, and so that funded the next year surfing. But I think the most important thing for me, and it made me understand, it's it's about producing content. Mm. And they weren't just they weren't paying for me just to go surfing. They were, I was producing something. So then after actually it raised my profile, mm. and we made this. Uh, it's called Behind the Lines, and it did everything again. Everything locked in like. So this is 2013, 14, I think. And it was one of the most hectic big wave seasons ever. Really? And everything started stacking. Like, And it ended, the final wave was what was sort of in the media is like, plumber catches biggest wave ever. Yeah. 
and that was the end of our that was the end of our YouTube series, and I think it got like like millions of views, like millions. Yeah. And my profile went from like yeah, like a just like a part time surfer plumber to somehow without any sponsors or anything like managed to to get like you know headline news. Yeah, you know. So and then I'm assuming loads of brands and sponsors came in after that. And yeah, well that's and then yeah, shortly after that I saw my Red Bull. That project finished uh, 2014, and yeah, saw Red Bull like, like that year. So the big turning point was the conversation that you had, and then you decided then that you were going to surf the biggest wave in the world, and then you got the TV deal. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, like I think it's I think do you know what it's just trying to make it happen and like working out like okay, right, I can't get a sponsor to pay me to do this. How can I do this? Mm. And thinking, okay, well, let's make a project like this YouTube series. I locked in obviously with Mikey Corker who is like, okay, right, well, I can do this and we'll film it and, we'll, and then, you know, we have a, we'll have a product product then that we can sell or produce and, you know, I think that worked really well. Really, really lucky, you know. Yeah, mate, that's amazing. Such a good story and so inspiring. Do you think you learned a lot from the sponsorship with Analog, like how to deal with brands and like, because obviously you had to go and pitch to Epic TV and win the deal. Yeah, you know, like, um, we got, you know, we got a lot of help uh, with the pitching and stuff from that's never easy and, and and I'm still learning that and stuff like that all the time in a way but I suppose I, I don't know like if you you can get complacent you know and I think you always have to be thinking about the next thing and I think the the, the thing for me was um but the biggest thing I think I learned was as a surfer like no one the days of just being sponsored someone just giving you some money to just to go out and go surfing and you get a couple of photos in a magazine you know we're gone it was about you know you had to be producing something, yeah, and that that helps you grow as as within yourself, you know. But that's adaptability, isn't it? And I think we all need that, too, especially with tech and how it changes. Yeah, yeah I suppose yeah, it's yeah, and, and I suppose like now the kids growing up, they're probably so used to, to that sort of thing in a way, yeah. like making little videos off yeah. Instagram or whatever, or you know they probably, but but you know I suppose it's yeah, yeah, mate, I love it. It's so good and. Probably one of the more boring questions that you get, but something that I have to ask is you hear about like flow state and time slowing down. And yeah. There's the Stephen Cox book, The Rise of Superman. I don't know if you've read no, that. It's amazing. No. It talks a lot about um, the likes of Laird Hamilton and some of the big skateboarders and uh, base jumpers and all these guys who are pushing their bodies to the absolute limit. And by doing these extreme acts, they're like forced into flow state. Yeah. So what is it like riding like an 80 foot, 100 foot wave? What's that feeling like? You know, it's quite interesting you say that actually because I've been thinking about it quite a lot. So, like, uh, I, I met a guy. I, I like about two years ago. I did some meditation, mm. and the first time I did this guided meditation, I got into a state where it almost like, like I suppose it was like maybe a flow state. I don't know. Like I felt like I was. I don't know. It's kind of like almost like hovering above my body. Time slowed down. I was like fuck. It's the most amazing feeling I ever felt, and then ever since then I I never managed to get back to that state with meditation. Really, and then I what happened on the first one. It happened on the first one, oh. and then I never and it never happened. I never got back there close to that how good it was that first time. So then on that recently I've been doing like from last year when I got injured I started doing more like breathing exercises and I and I found myself getting close to the state of feeling that feeling like that in that meditation state just mm. through breathing exercises. Through like um, just breath holds and uh, just a series of breath holds, you know, um, made my body feel like that. 
what what do you do like what's the technique i actually do like pretty much like wim hof you know like yeah. just hyperventilating um breath like holding breath on, on the exhale like when i'm doing it by myself i just do to what feels good i don't time anything i don't yeah. even think really? about times i just go with you know and and often i i started using it just to help me relax yeah and as a form of meditation and then you start get. I start getting you know all the other benefits. Mate, it's amazing. I've, I've literally. It's funny you say the Wim Hof. I've literally. I'm on day ten. I'm doing it every morning at the moment. Right. Yeah. So you basically do. Well, this is like the generic way of doing it. Yeah, so yeah. I, I like the fact that you just do it on feeling. But thirty deep breaths and it's either uh, basically controlled hyperventilation, yeah. isn't it, or power breathing, and you're oxygenating your body and then holding your breath at the end for like one to three minutes or however yeah. long you can. And that's inducing like a acute stress response in the body, yeah. which allows you to have a higher tolerance to stress, I suppose, in the rest of your day. And then do you do, because with the Wim Hof course, because uh, my trainer, Blakey, did the Wim Hof course, mm. like the whole the thing, and he does the, the push-ups and stuff. I haven't, I haven't done the exercise yeah, yeah, right, afterwards okay. yet, because right. like, I haven't actually done the course, but I'm, right. I'm going to do it. They do a three-day in Scotland, which looks amazing. Right. But yeah, because obviously there's three parts in there, like the cold exposure as well, exercise. Yeah, and the, yeah. so yeah, no, I've never got into like the, the push-up stuff, but I just do the... The breath hold stuff. I kind of like it, and it's kind of like yeah, like relaxing. And do you do it in the morning? Uh, yeah, I was doing it in the morning, but I was also doing it sometimes before before bed. Yeah, to sort of completely relax. Mm. And often I found like um, I sometimes I wouldn't even get through the whole cycle, and you sort of like pass out, and just like, <laughs> really? like fall asleep. No way. So yeah, I really, really rate it. It's weird. Like it's a weird kind of like. It sounds odd, but it's a quite a peaceful state when you're not breathing when you're holding your breath out <coughs> yeah it's amazing and 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 it's funny i think like i've noticed if you were to go to like um like a lot of kids oh you know like try meditation they'll probably go no that's ridiculous i don't know i'm not interested in meditation but if you tell them to do a breathing it's like, like i think it appeals to a certain amount like type of person who might not be able to meditate because hmm. they can sort of focus on the breathing and you, you're technically you're doing a chore or a task in your mind, yeah. But you also kind of end up then meditating yeah. at the same time, yeah. Which is key, you know. Like I think it's really helpful for a lot of people to, yeah. to get into meditation. That's a really good point. I, I do TM transcendental meditation as well. I try to, but because you're committed to twenty minutes, I find it hard to do it every day. Yeah. Whereas Wim Hof, you can do in seven minutes. Yeah. Is it? I don't know. Like, yeah. If that, like, yeah. Do you do one round or more? I do. I usually do three. Okay, you do three rounds. Yeah. Um, I've just been doing one at the minute, but right. So, so as a round, as like, like the, the breeze, the, the exhale, the breath hold, and then I do that three three times, yeah. sometimes four, and then the last time. So the first two times, I don't push it. I just like like um, hold my breath until I feel like I want to breathe. And then the last time, I'll just hold it for as long as I possibly can. Hmm. And then really, really go as like, push it as far as I can. How far, how long do you reckon you can hold it for? <coughs> do you know, it, it, it can vary massively. For sometimes it can be as little as like one minute 30 and I'll be struggling. And other times I can go way up to like closer to four or five minutes. Really? Yeah. Shit. And that can all depend on like what I've eaten, how I'm feeling, you know, you know, like so many, it's so bizarre, like the breath hole thing. Do you know what's so important about that is though? Because like, for me, it doesn't, that wouldn't really matter. But for you as a surfer, like you could be underwater for a long period of time and all those elements are coming into play on how long you can hold your breath underwater. The thing about that, when you're in that, those situations, like a wipeout situation, so when I'm training in a pool, it's like, we call it like the end of the pool syndrome. Like, <laughs> like if you, 
the second you notice or think about something, it can change everything in your physiology. So mm. if if I'm under the pool, like swimming length under the water, and I look at the end of the pool, yeah, like everything speeds up. So like then I find actually harder to make the end of the, end of the pool. But if I never, ever look at the end of the pool, I get to the end of the pool and go, shit, I can't believe I'm at the end of the pool. Mm. So so if you start swimming underwater, like, like 25 metres underwater, you're swimming... And you look and you go, okay, right, it's 10 more meters. Everything speeds up. It, like the noticing, you're letting that change your physio- physiology. So therefore, you might use your arms quicker or kick a bit more. So therefore, it speeds everything up. But if I was to never look at the end of the pool, I can slow everything down. And therefore, I kind of, I can get, it take, maybe take longer to get there, but it feels, doesn't feel as bad. And exactly. it's the same in a, in a, in a wipeout. I don't know how I, I do it but I can just turn up and then I can just switch off I don't think about anything and if, this, if I was to ever think like oh I need, I need a breath or this is too long that's when shit goes wrong because that's when like your heart rate might speed up you might get into panic you might worry you might that no, that reaction can change everything hmm. or that thought that's like, I've never heard it explained like that that's like the power of the mindset yeah it's, it's, it's amazing like it's when you when you go, like, so we do the breath stuff and it's kind of on land, you know, like, it's it's easier because, you you know, you're not underwater and you can just breathe whenever you want and, you know, but when you're underwater, you know, like, there's no cheating, you know, there's no, you know, but then when you're underwater and it's involuntary, yeah. there's definitely no cheating, you know, <laughs> so, so, so it's nice to practice those things in the pool because... You, you you'll notice how 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 the mind just plays massive tricks on you. It's like so you, you can go underwater, and, and I would never say go to a pool by yourself and start doing these things. Like always, you, you know, you've got train safe, blah blah blah. Make sure you're doing pairs, and you know, yeah. just put that out there. Just put, like if you go to a pool, breathe all your oxygen out. Like no no breathe ups, no hard ventilating, nothing. Like so, breathe all your oxygen out, sink to the bottom of the pool. And you'll make it last like 20, 30 seconds, say 20 seconds, and you, you know, you can convolting. And that point where you think you need to come up, if then you start swimming, you'll be so surprised how far you can swim, yeah, underwater after, you, after you've had your convulsions and you feel like you'd. So, so we do like drills where we'll do that, we'll breathe all our air out, sink to the bottom. 10 seconds you might be convulting like super gnarly mm-hmm. urge to breathe no, super uncomfortable horrible but then you start moving slowly and as soon as you stop moving your body changes it's like physiology again always look down never look at the end of the pool look mm-hmm. at the, the black line just start swimming slowly and often you can swim 25 metres underwater after you've had your first like sort of convulsions at their end that is so fascinating we, we don't know what we're capable of yeah well, and yeah everyone's capable of it yeah like everyone it's nuts i'm glad i'm glad you mentioned that that's i was looking at your instagram the you spoke about it the functional residual capacity yeah yeah yeah. yeah 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 it's so interesting i think it's amazing so what do you think that we can do in our day-to-day lives because we spoke about security and feeling safe when we're not pushed to our extremes like that, then we get caught up in bad habits and bad routines of being stressed and overwhelmed and not dealing with it very well. Yeah. Like how can we do that? Because you've spoken about mindset there in an amazing way, and I've never heard it like that, where you can just switch off. Or you can, but you're basically saying you've, you're keeping your emotions in check and in control. Yeah, but that, that's, that's an extreme. Like, if I didn't do that, I'd probably die. 
you know, yeah. like, like, so, we're, yeah. like, and, and it's very easy, like, because I'm probably not the best in stressful situations at home, I can lose my shit, you know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, but, like, in the worst, like, in debt, in, like, like, life or death situations in the ocean, you know, I've, I have a capability of just, just switching off. Just survival. Survival. But it's not survival because it's not, you're not, you're not reacting. It, it's that, it's, I think people fall into a very, um, that they sort of think, oh yeah, you need to survive that. You need to be stronger and you need to beat the ocean or you need to beat it. And, you know, it's, it's not, it's a surrendering, you know, like you've got to surrender. And that doesn't mean give up. It just means, you know, you, you it's, it's smart. It's a smart way to do it. You know, it's like, because you can't, you can't fight the ocean. You can't beat the ocean. You, you know, you've got to go with it. Yeah. And you've got to believe and you've got to surrender. Yeah. But do you think the same thing though, like those stressful things around the house where you do lose your shit, like if you surrender to those situations, yeah. it's the same thing. Oh yeah, I reckon you probably could, <laughs> you but I'm not as good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure, yeah. I think it is with everything, isn't it? Like, but sometimes it's it's harder to to to, to do it yeah. in, in real life, isn't yeah. it? You know, like, but yeah, probably if you could take that mindset to everything, mm. it probably everything would be easier. Yeah. And yeah, and sometimes I do. Sometimes it's like, oh, you know, it is what it is. But yeah, I don't, I don't lose my shit. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all do. All right, mate. One of the things I'm really keen to, to talk to you about and, and hear a little bit more about is the story of the accident you had in. It was in 2017, right? Yes. Where you were dropping into uh, an unbelievable wave, huge wave, and something happened. The, the video is unreal, by the way, and I'm going to put this online so people can check it out while they're yeah. listening. But yeah, if you could talk us through what happened that day, that'd be amazing. Yeah, it's uh, November uh, the eighth, and it was like the first big wave, like the big swell of the season, and um, that's always kind of a an exciting, exciting time, you know. And it's kind of a special swell with with the numbers. All big wave surfers have like a geeky side of things, you know. And, and for me, like I was looking at the numbers on the forecast, and and I could tell that even though they weren't the biggest of the like biggest ever like it was gonna be giant you know like um where were you at nazare in portugal yeah and there's a canyon there and the swell direction was perfect sometimes if the waves are too big they break too far out the back and they kind of crumble and kind of fat and not very good for surfing but if you get them just this right height they break really close to the beach to get the waves get even taller and they get really good shape um and it's obviously very dangerous but do you know, like, as a set's coming in, that that's what it's going to be like, or do you not know until you're dropping in? Uh, I think as a surfer, you can sort of you read, you know, like, but it, it's all, in, you know, into the, that, you know, the, the ocean's the ocean, it does what it wants, every wave's different, you know, you can have a, a, a kind of guess at it, you know, and, and that you can read it the best you can. And I've always thought, you know, like, um, you know, the best surfer, we, you know, is the, is the guy that can... And, can read read the ocean the best you know um but yeah so we'd, we'd it was in the morning i'd had already had like two or three waves my friend had a couple of waves and when i was checking in the morning the waves i'd, I'd seen these couple lefts um breaking really close to the beach and they were like super super hollow and this wave came through and it looked like it was going to be one of those lefts and uh i sort of when I was watching, I was, was sort of mind surfing, and I often do that, like, like as a surfer, like I'm checking the waves, I mind surf, 
and I sort of think, you know, how I would surf that way. Like visualisation. Vis- yeah, visualise what I'd want. Yeah. And I kind of, like, as I was getting, because t- we were using jet skis to tow us in, the waves are like so big, and as I was getting towed in, and I kind of like, that's how I saw this wave. I saw it was like a real bendy uh, peak. And so as I came into it, I was like, okay, well, this is, I knew how I was going to surf it before I even let go of the rope, you know. And I was going to fade super, super deep, come off the bottom, and then hopefully the plan was to like pull in into the barrel of the wave, you know, into the center of the wave and get like a, like a really big, big barrel, you know, and so that, which is every surfer's dream is to get barrel, whether it's two foot, but to get like a you know, 60 foot barrel is just like, you know, it's like the holy grail, you know, so. Um, was this a 60 foot wave? I'd say it's probably in the 60 foot range, yeah. yeah. I don't you know, don't know how big it was, but You've yeah. You've been towed in at like, what, what speed are you going? <coughs> About 40 mile an hour. Fuck. Yeah, we're moving fast, the wave's moving fast, it's, you know, there's a lot of wind up the face, and, and, um, I faded and faded, and I'd like, beyond, you know, I'd committed, like, you know, I put it all on black, you know, like, it was like, put, <laughs> like, this is, this is it, you know, like, it's this or nothing, and, um, as I came off the bottom, it's like we're, we're surfing like a beach, so every wave's different, but there's always like lumps and stuff. The wave hit a lump, and what it went from like looking like it's really amazing bowling short left to like I hit this lump, the the wave like lengthened out, and then it like it was it just changed completely changed shape. And what then, do you mean by hit a lump? Like because there's like a bit of backwash, right? Like, okay, um, and. When I say a bit of backwash, you know, we're talking about a 60 foot wave, so it's, you know, backwash is probably like, you know, eight feet or something, you know, like, and you can see on the video, like, as I bottom turn, my board, like, sort of jumps. Mm. As I hit this, like, lump in the wave, which changes the whole shape of the wave. But because I'd committed so heavily to, to that line, I was kind of like, I was caught short, you know, like, and I just had nowhere to go. You I, couldn't change your mind at that point. Well, you, yeah, there's no, there's no, you know, like, and and I'm like, oh, I, I, I knew that. I, I was looking down. I'd say, okay, well, this wave isn't going to barrel. And then I was like, well, I'm too high to go down because I knew the wave was going to land on me. And I was like, I'm not up high enough to be definitely not be in the barrel. Like I just, I was in like this zone where like it was probably the worst place to be. Mm. I like I don't know. Like I'd never really done that before. I'm not, I don't, but natural instinct just took over, and I, and I just jumped off. You know, like just like I, I didn't know what to do. You know, well, you jumped off the board. Yeah, just just jumped off because we're in foot straps. So I was like, if I get hit, my foot straps still in. Like you know, like it could break my ankles. Or as a surfer, you know, you ideally you want to ride a wave out. So even if you're not going to make it, you want to like ride out the front. Or you, you pull into the wave, like into the center of the wave, where like so you you know all the energy is in the lip, so you want to be out in front of that lip, or you want to be under the lip, you know. And I was going to be like I knew that I wasn't going to be like I just that was just just in such a a zone, so I just jumped. Shit. And I kind at, of at forty miles an hour. Yeah, well, I, I'm probably going a bit slower by then because obviously I was riding the wave. And I just gone for that weird bunny hop thing, and mm. and it was bizarre because you know as a surfer you, you've been through these situations so many times. You know those motions, that impact, the washing machine effect, whatever you want to call it. 
and then you come up you know you might get a breath you might get sucked down again and I ha- had this like didn't really have any impact so like I jumped off my board thinking right I'm going to get like I thought I was going to get like, the biggest pounding ever you know, like a real big impact and I was just weightless and and it was I was like thinking shit like you know I was wait I was okay okay like I'm going to hit now you know like okay right, it's going to hit now and and I couldn't place myself on the wave, which is kind of, like, it was bizarre. Mm. And then um, it seemed like, you know, we talk about, like, you know, like flow state, time slowing down. You know, like, I must have been in, in that kind of state because it felt like ages. Like, obscene, like an obscene amount of time, you know, like... Were you on top of the wave or in the, underneath? I was, uh, I was just, like, mid-face of this wave. Mm. So... I just jumped off, and and then it felt like I don't know. It's like things. It was kind of black. Like I kind of had like a little bit of a a tap, and I was just just floating. And I was like, "This is like, I've never felt this before." And then all of a sudden, it was like falling, you know, out of a five-story building or something onto concrete. I was just like, "Bang!" And it was like my bum through my back. Um, and then so that was a massive impact and then then it was like then it was the the washing machine effect you know like ragdolled everywhere upside down like getting going felt myself going deep and then you come up again and and I knew the, the second that first impact it was so hard and so heavy that I knew shit was up and then I sort of surfaced and I could see my safety guy but then I could also see the next wave about to break in my head. And I knew, like, I could just tell. I was like, fuck, well, he's never going to get me, you know, like. And then I had, like, another 60-foot wave breaking my head. Oh. I ragdolled again. And then I, I sort of just, you know, you get into those autopilot sort of thing. And and then I managed to get back. And then the, the, the safety driver came up again. And then the safety driver actually managed to get me. And then, I don't know, I, kind of, I think I was in shock. He picked me up and... I think he was just like, okay, well, let's get back, you know, let's get back out. So he, he came into the shore break to turn around because he was going to go back out through the waves. And I was just like lying on the sled. I couldn't move. I could move my arms and stuff. And before I could say, like, fuck, just get me to the beach, he punched a wave, lost the control of the ski, and the ski got rolled. And, and it was almost like that was like a, a godsend, really, because we were right on the shore break. And I was just floating. And there's a couple of lifeguards. There. When the waves are that big, they, they, they ensure that like, there's um, safety and stuff on the beach. You know, like, so the, the lifeguards are there, and they obviously could suss something was up because I wasn't. I was like in the in the shore break, but I, I couldn't move, and I was like face down. But then I like got getting breaths, like lifting my head up. But then I, I wasn't swimming, and and as I got washed up, I was just like guys, like you know. I, I ain't walking anyway. Like, and the pretty much straight away they put me, you know, they, they did like a textbook spinal, you know, like, and not, you know, obviously me being the lifeguard for like eight years, like, I knew, you know, all the shit to do, and yeah. but they all they also knew, you know, they, everyone's pretty clued up in that scene, and it was just, I was kind of pissed, pissed off, like just like you know with myself, and and I was like, you know, I was thinking, oh fuck, like you, such an idiot, like. Like, I knew the waves were going to get better, I knew the waves were going to get bigger, and I was like, fuck, you've blown it, you know, like, you know, because I think there's always a time to pull the trigger, 
and put everything on the line and I think you know that's that's it's good to do that but you've got to choose those times wisely mm. and I kind of felt that I, I kind of blew it because yeah. it wasn't the right time to do that because I knew like it was only 10 o'clock like the waves were going to get bigger all day right you know and I was just like oh you you ain't going to be surfing today you ain't going to definitely be surfing tomorrow that wasn't the time to, to put everything on the line yeah. you know um, but the moment like the excitement start of the season well I think yeah you know and you, you, it, it, you know it is it's managing those times you know and you need to you know I think that's what makes the best surfers is like and, I, and I've done and I've put everything on the line before and pulled it off and you know sometimes you do and sometimes you don't you know and, and I, I, you know, sometimes that's what makes the best big wave surfers is like it's not putting on the line every time it's knowing when to put it on the line yeah. and for me I think that like, I was so pissed off for myself because I kind of think I like schoolboard it a little bit, you know. Like, mm. I, like I shouldn't have done that, and, and I, yeah, I was just lying on the beach and oh, wet suit cut off, and and then it's just like sort of the you know realization hits that you know okay, yeah. right, you kind of yeah, this isn't good, you know. What point did you realize you'd broke your back? Did you feel it in the, on impact or not? I kind of knew straight away. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, you it's like it, it's not like I, I could move my um, I could move my legs. And my, my, my no, I couldn't move my legs, but I could move my like toes, um, and I had feeling, but I had also had shooting pains down my right side of my leg and mm. my thigh, which was stressing me out a little bit. Did you did you worry or were you scared about being paralysed or anything? Um, that didn't really enter my mind. It did later on, but you know I knew you, you know like whenever you do something, like you kind of know like instantly. Yeah. And then you kind of like the next six hours or ever when I was waiting for scans and x-rays, you're in that limbo like, oh, yes, I have. No, I haven't. I wish I have. This is Too much time to think about it. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was like that, you know. And I, yeah, they took me to Luria. I got x-rayed and there's a bit of a language scenario. And But they, they said, you know, like, I had a compression fracture and of my L2. And, you know, it's just that typical thing where like... I, me being so, you know, I should speak Portuguese, I'm terrible at Portuguese, and, you know, there's a bit of those things where you weren't, I wasn't sure 100% what was going on, and then they end up saying, hey, you're breaking your back, and, you know, you just got to lie down, basically. You know, it's nothing, they're not gonna, they wouldn't operate, and my insurance and through Red Bull and stuff was like, okay, right, well, we just need to get you back to UK, and we'll scan you here, and then we'll, we'll do what we need to do here. So I sort of was waiting through that for that to happen, and... Uh, I was in the hospital in Luria and I was with uh, Hugo and Garrett who I surf with and they do safety we we do we work in a three and we all surf and we all do safety and you know we just walk around and um, the lady came and put like a body brace on me and was like okay right so at this point I've been lying down for almost just over 48 hours and she said well we've got to get you up we've got to try and get you moving because, you know, you can't, you know, the longer you lie down, the harder it is going to be, you know. Mm. And I could see, like, going, like, yeah, yeah, let's get him up. And and I think this was the, the, the this was the big thing, like, so he, they put this brace on me and she was, she was saying, as long as you, like, sort of, this brace is on, you, could, you should be able to walk around and, and you know, because this is keeping your, your spine straight and taking the weight off it. And it was like this big metal horrible brace thing. <laughs> And I, they tried to sit me up in bed, and I was like feeling nauseous. And then I couldn't, basically, I couldn't even put a, a foot on the floor. I just couldn't do it. I don't know. Like, and it wasn't 
didn't necessarily that I couldn't do it. It was looking at Garrett and Hugo and looking at the panic in their faces, mm. thinking, and I was like, shit, I've really, really done something. You know, like, this is this is no joke. You know, like, I've kind of fucked up. Yeah. You know, like, that. I think that's when it was like, okay, right, you know, like, shit, you've really done something, you know. And then they were like, and I was getting all dizzy, and then they are like, oh, and then they stopped panicking, and they thought maybe I'd done something to my, my head as well, because I was so nauseous, and so I'm back in for more scans, and, and that was a kind of a, a bad 24 hours. But luckily, I finally they ma- I managed to get a couple steps going, and you know, and, and it was, and then every couple of hours they got me up again, and I was like moving more and more, and then within like two or three days I was managing to, to walk around again slowly, you know. But it was that that moment. I think it was just like that split moment when you, when you look in someone else's eyes and, mm. and you can see how worried they are. Yeah, you know and. Both Garrett and Hugo are pretty gun ho and sort of, you know, like, oh, you'd be right, you know, like sort of guys. <laughs> and when you look in their eyes and they're shit in their pants, you're like, shit, you know, like. But you know what, mate? That's so, so similar to the moment when you're under the pool, you've got no breath left and you're looking at the end of the pool. Mm. It changes your mindset and your perception of the situation. Yeah. It's fascinating, mate. I think yeah, it's, it's and I was just like, fuck, you know. From, from then, like, I very quickly sort of made the decision, you know, like, or, or I set my goals pretty much straight away what I was going to do and mm. and pretty much from that day of of those first few steps it felt like constantly that after every every day week was a, a noticeable that you know that that contour line of getting better and fitter and I kind of got, I got back to the UK and I started rehab at Harrison Ross and you know I was really fortunate to have like Red Bull supporting it and mm. you know just just I think without them you know, because we were like, you know, extreme athletes. It's not like if I, if I was playing for a premiership football player, you know, you, you injure yourself, you've got that massive group of people around you, you yeah. know, like, and that team. And and as a, sometimes as a surfer, it's very individual and you're mm. very like by yourself and not knowing what to do, mm. you know. And, um, you know, it's not always you have like coaches or physios and that to, to, to look to, you know, like... Yeah. You're you're by yourself a lot, yeah. you know, and you're making your own schedules up, and you're making your own training up, and you're like, you know, yeah. it's kind of like, and it was the first time really, like, like I was like, shit, I need support, and you know, having them there to, to support and get okay, right, or well, this is what you got to do, this is the schedule, this is how we're going to do it, this is when you're going to come back, and you know, it was all mapped out for me, yeah, and and I think that was amazing, you know, and it helped me, help me get back, yeah, stronger and and you know, quicker for sure, and as. Did you need to ask them, or were they just good to they, go? No, like the second the, the guy, one of one of my athlete managers, like straight away, I was like, "We just heard, you know, what's going on, and mm. yeah, just let you know, you know, straight away, like, you know, you, you know, you don't you. worry about it. Yeah, you've yeah, got you. I'm sure they've got a lot of athletes that have been through big yeah. injuries as well. <laughs> yeah, but you know, like having that, like, cause I think like a lot of other, you know, other sponsors would have been like, oh, you know, mm. you don't have to, don't have, no, yeah. they don't, you know, have to do that. You know, yeah, so. no, that's good. We talk about obstacles a lot, actually. So, what, how, how long was the recovery, and what were kind of the, some of the lowest points that you had, or in fact, actually, some of the highs as well? Because you said you set those goals straight away. How do you do that and kind of stick to them and, and stay positive? So, so I think I, I was like, okay, right, I'm going to come back super quick, and that was my thing, you know. And then you, I was going to obviously see the physios and Harrison Ross, and then I was dealing with um, a, a back surgeon who was 
who's looking to, like scanning me and looking at my scan, looking at my spines and and the advice was like, look, it's not how quick you can come back, you know, like this isn't a sprint, this mm. is a marathon, yeah, you know. To don't be foolish, you know, like like you're not what you're gonna achieve by coming back two months early. Mm. It's, it's been it's not worth it. Yeah. So they're not. So they're not like I was getting all this advice, and then you sort of okay, right? Yeah, you got this. Yeah, you know, thinking about it, and and then you readjust, and you think, okay, right? Because you know, first of all, I was like, oh, I'm gonna come back before the end of the season, and I'll get in March, and then and then it was like, okay, right? Well, then I'll okay, right? I'm gonna go to Australia and surf the right in August, <laughs> and then that got said, no, I can't do that, no. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, actually no, it's gonna be about a year, so it's like a, a full circle, you know, yeah. like a year to return. Yeah. Back to full fitness. So it was 2018 that you finally recovered? I was back surfing big waves by October. Mm. Amazing. So what was it, like, um, 11 months? Yeah. Were you ever told you couldn't surf again? Uh, no, no, no. No. I think things like that never have crossed my, like, never have crossed my mind. Yeah. It, even if like, even if someone had told me that, I'd be like, oh, fuck, you know, I'm going <laughs> to surf again. It's ridiculous, you know. Um, what about what about for this year? You got any goals you want to share for what you're going to achieve in 2019? Do you know what? It's much of the same. You know, like you you know you always want to get that like that special wave. Mm. So I'd like to get you know like whether that's like a crazy big big wave or a big barrel or and you know there again it's about peaking everything at the right time. You know, like not just you physically and mentally, but you're trying to peak with the ocean as well. You know. You know, and you get in that flow state, and you, you, when we're saying about that flow state, that can be a moment and on a wave, but also like a, like a period of time in the ocean where, like, sometimes you feel like you can't do a thing wrong, you know, like, and everything's just grooving, yeah. you know, <laughs> like you always end up being on the biggest wave of the set, like every set for the next hour, you know, yeah, two hours, and, really. and that's yeah. not like the whole time's not on those like super slow motion dreamy but it's like you just everything's clicking you know is that what you're seeking are you seeking to feel those extended periods of flow state or just being out in nature what, what is it that kind of motivates you to keep going with it i think it's the flow state that i think is is what you know like when time slows down and you're seeing shit in slow motion and that's the addictive thing about surfing big waves for mm. me and then, you know and i think that's start, that's the addictive thing about surfing and i think that started possibly at the age of I don't know, whatever, in my early teens, maybe when you, you know, maybe I've got my first barrel or I don't know, like, you know, you probably experience those things where like, oh, no way, like you're in a wave and it, like time slows down and mm. you're like, wow, that was amazing, you know, and, and then you just chase that forever, you yeah. know, like, and do you just keep chasing it, yeah. you know, and sometimes it, maybe it gets harder to harder to achieve, so waves get bigger or you get better, technical, you're technically better and... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, that's what I think I, I chase, I think. Do you get that flow state outside of the water? Well, we just, you know, we talked about the meditation, yeah. which I had that one one experience. What what meditation was that, by the way? What just, did I get you to do? We just guided meditation. Um, he just guided me through, sat and legs crossed and comfortable, just guided meditation. What was it, like a body scan thing or like a... Walking you through something, yeah. Like... Just, it was just, yeah. Well, and we're concentrating on, I was visualizing something and, and like concentrating on it. Like a, some people look at a candle or something like that. No, well, we weren't actually. There wasn't actually anything physically we were looking at. Um, I shot. Yeah, I shot. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. But it was, um, 
it was the best but then also I, I never really got it back mm. and I went to his sessions a couple of times out of, you know four or five times after that and I got close to that point but never to that point so mate it's interesting because I think I get a similar thing that if you're seeking it too much it, go back, it goes back to what you're saying about surrendering to it yeah. as well like if you're looking for that thing rather than letting go I find it hard to like relinquish yeah. control and like just go with it yeah it's harder to get it yeah and then maybe to uh, you know um, that first session I'd never really I didn't know what I was looking for yeah and uh, like it was like shit boom found me straight away and then mm. ever since then you never get it back and it's yeah because like, obviously what you've done in the waves your brain knows how to get into that state very easily mm. obviously it's helped through external forces in the environment and the waves that you're riding and everything else but yeah it's really interesting alright mate I've got one more question okay and then we'll go into the same three that we do at the end of every episode. Right, yeah. So the last question that I've got for you is, from all the amazing things you've experienced, like all the huge waves that you've rode around the world, you've kind of overcome a lot of resistance, a lot of fear. What's your relationship like with fear now? And kind of what can we learn, people, I suppose, living through what you've experienced, mm. what can we learn about fear and how we manage it better? I think fear is very good and very healthy. And... And I think, and I try and teach my kids to do this, is like, rather than say, when they say, I'm scared, I don't go, okay, don't do it. Okay, that's great. It's great you're scared, but you have to challenge that fear. You know, like, you know, I think we've become very much, especially like the Western way is like, oh, if it's, if he's scared, it's fine, don't do it. Like, Ace goes, oh, I'm scared to go in the water. Okay, mate, don't go in the water. Mm. You know, <laughs> you know like, so, so, so you grow up through life, and as soon as you're scared, your parents go, oh, yeah, don't do it then. You know? Yeah. So, so you end up being, I don't know, so I, I, I've always believed, I think my you know, parents were very much like, just you know, get on with it, stop being, you know. Yeah. So I think it's a very good thing to challenge. Yeah. And the, 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 the benefit to that, it makes you feel alive. It makes you, you know, it's like, it's, it's like the, every day is worth living, you know, like mm. challenging that fear. It's great to be scared. In fact, like I wouldn't, I'd be, I'd be worried to go surf, big wave surfing with guys that don't feel fair, you know, because yeah. you're like, oh, this guy's lunatic, he's going to yeah. get himself killed, you know, like, it's really, really healthy. Do you feel it a lot when you're out there? Oh, yeah, like, you shit your pants, you it's know. It's funny, because like, you'd probably look from the outside in and think you're fearless because you're dropping into these massive waves. Oh, uh, no, no, but you, you ha- like, I, I think it's, I really, I respect the ocean more than anything, you know, it's, it is the scariest place. The ocean's scary, you know, the sea's scary when it's flat, <laughs> you know. And it, it can have no mercy, you, you know. So you respect that, and of course you're fearful of that. But yeah, you can play with it, you can flow with it for a little bit. You can, but you still, at the end of the day, you're still boss, you know. Like, yeah. and I think yeah, playing with that fear is is good. It's, yeah. good for, it's good for everyone, you know. It's interesting. I think I was talking to someone about this the other day about when you're a kid, everything is new to you and exciting and a new experience. So you feel that fear, you feel that excitement, that energy. As we get older, we're doing things for the tenth. 20th 100th time we're just used to it yeah yeah boring after a while so unless you're pushing through the boundaries of fear you don't like you said you feel alive when you do that yeah yeah it makes you you know think you know it gives me sort of purpose you know and I like I really don't know you know how I'd do that maybe you'd be like but I suppose fear is different you know you can put that on every different level you know like maybe it'd be like if I didn't do it with big way surfing it'd be like maybe taking on a plumbing job, which mm. I wouldn't know quite what I was, you know, how I was going to do it. And you yeah. get, yeah, well, shit, what I'm going to do, you know, yeah. like you work it out as you go along and mm. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a real good outlet for me. Yeah. 
and saying, you know, you embrace, embrace the fear. Yeah, oh, amazing. Couldn't agree more. Right, mate, so the last three questions are, so is there anything you've experienced or discovered recently that you're particularly excited about? I wouldn't say, do, do you know what? I think the, the breathing thing and the, the notice but don't react, uh, like not letting your emotions, thoughts become emotions, whatever. it's something that I've been doing for a long time but not realising it, mm. but discovering why you're doing something. So discovering like, and I'm discovering that, oh yeah, I do that already. You know, that's what I do in, in wipeouts, you know. And yeah. So understanding that, I think, has it's, it's been, yeah, it's been, it's been great for me, I think. Yeah, I love that, mate. That's, that's amazing. Like the awareness, bringing the awareness to it. Yeah. It's so Because I, I didn't, I didn't, I never thought, you know, I think sometimes in a lot of sports, you're doing something and because you're, so, you're doing it, you don't actually know what you're doing. Yeah. And it was, um, we, I started a, with my, I got a, a trainer, and uh, we started doing sort of retreats, like surfit retreats, mm. which we we talk, we do a lot of breathing workshops, and it's not for big wave surfers; it's just for people who want to be confident in, in the ocean. And yeah. um, we started me and me and Andy started going through some of the pool stuff, and we were trying to like he was trying to get out of me what I do, and then it's not until you actually start breaking it down and you start really understanding what you're doing because mm. I didn't really understand, yeah, yeah, and you can put it into practice and actually then sort of teach someone yeah it's yeah. pretty cool I mean that's so good I think they're some of the greatest lessons like if I'm reading a really good book it's because it's telling me something that I already knew but I didn't know I knew yeah <laughs> you know what I mean in, in yeah, a weird yeah. way and you're using it and you're doing it and you're like oh shit but how do I yeah. do that I don't you know, yeah. and then when you bring awareness to it you can be much more like conscious and yeah. make sure you're doing it more at the right times and stuff. yeah and that's yeah. how you grow I think you know? yeah. and, and, and you become better as well so yeah oh amazing yeah I love that okay so the second one is, if you had to give a listener one piece of advice of a daily habit or a routine that they would start doing that's going to help drive their performance forward, what would that one thing be? Breathing. Yeah. That Wim Hof Wim breathing. Hof. Yeah. yeah. Not let's say Wim Hof, but, you know, like a breathing exercise. Mm. Or, or, like, learning to breathe efficiently. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't, don't always breathe efficiently. And, you know, understanding your breath is, I think, is super important to, like not only controlling your, your mind but also your efficiency of your body yeah yeah it's yeah. interesting I think um, the person that we had on the episode right before you is a lady called Rebecca Dennis who's an amazing like expert in what's called transformational breathing right so it's more like trauma I guess coping with trauma and like releasing like energies and stuff like that but yeah I don't think people even really think about it like it's just it's, it's natural to breathe but not many of us do it properly no and, and um, I, I noticed so I started doing breath holding's been a big part of my um you know it's a big part of big way surfing you know and i was surprised when i did like a, a free diving course years ago mm. i think probably like eight years ago i knew nothing about breathing until this course and he they, they just he just taught me how to breathe efficiently mm. and, and it was probably the biggest the biggest game changer of my life wow. well, for, for he uh, it was a uh, I think it was FII guys from Hawaii. Yeah. Um, FFI freediving or something, or FII freediving. So you did it in Hawaii. Uh, no, he was in Europe. Oh wow. Um, uh, so yeah, he came over to Europe and uh, it was like a two-day course, and I just thought it was going to be like the whole time in the pool, like holding your breath for as long as you can, you know, like macho stuff, you know. <laughs> and the first day of the course was in the classroom, and I was like instantly like, and he said this straight away. I'm like, oh god, like. This is gonna suck, you know? <laughs> and I learnt more in that classroom. I learnt, I, I tripled my breath hold within like like half a day with him just talking and teaching you how to breathe and you know making sure you're breathing efficiently and 
and it was the most valuable classroom lesson I've ever had. Wow. And and it, it transformed like all my training, my recovery, my preparation. It just sort of it was just I was like, fuck, that's amazing. What was the biggest lesson from that? Using your whole diaphragm and like belly breathing and, yeah. and uh you know, like that three ten breath, you know, and which is not only like it's preparing the body for the breath hole, but it can prepare you for sport or or you know lower your heart rate for a phone call you know like just you know keep you down you know like doesn't you know your your emotions or heart rate going crazy which Mm. can you know it sort of can keep you on that level yeah and your breath can do that yeah oh that's so good mate all right i love that advice definitely i I couldn't agree more i think that's such good advice whether it's wim hof or one of the others like there's so many different ones out there yeah yeah just and then like what i love about um all of this stuff, you know, is like, especially from from my point of view, like, there's no right or wrong. It's every, everyone's great. Everyone, everyone's different, you know. Like, so I always like taking the best bits of the, all of them, and you know, yeah. using the bits I like. Yeah. And just, yeah. Just learn it all and use it all. Yeah, amazing. All right. So the last one is take yourself back to probably take you back to the moment where you were plumbing. You had that conversation with your wife, and you were deciding which side of the crossroads you're going to take. What's the key differentiator between the version of Cotty who went on and had all the amazing success that you've had in surfing and, and in your life, actually, everything that you've done, versus the version of Cotty who would have probably gone down the other avenue, lived that 30 years as a plumber, fitting toilets? Like, uh, I don't know. Like, I think I'm kind of all or nothing, but sometimes I need to be pushed in the right direction. If it wasn't for, for Katie, then I, I probably wouldn't have... I would have probably, like, gone, OK, right, I, I've got to just do the plumbing thing, and I'd have probably would have gone hell, hell for leather and plumbing, you know. Like, but having that little bit of like someone to push me either either way, yeah. I don't know whether that's good. so it's probably quite a negative thing for me, you know. Like, no, it's good. What like the support network, isn't it? Yeah, but I think that that's key. Like, I think it's again, it's key to surround yourself with those positive people, people that you know want similar things in you. Mm. You know, like whether it's like. If you want to do a marathon, you know, like go and find two other people who want to do a marathon. Mm. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. or whatever your goal is, you know, like if you find two other people who want to do it, like it's going to be so much easier. Yeah. And and I've been really lucky because you know that Katie didn't want to go so big ways, but she wanted me to do what I wanted to do, like as a, in my passion, because mm. she works in her passion. What's hers? Uh, music. Nice. And. You know, I, I, and I was lucky. I bumped into like Garrett and Hugo and various other big wave surfers at the right time, at the right place, and t- together you get there quicker. You know, yeah. you can feed off each other's passion, craziness. Yeah. Everyone else will say it's not possible. You know, like you, you know, it's amazing if you're with like-minded people. What can what you can make happen? You know, yeah. amazing. Yeah, surround yourself with those who have got experience or can be mentors or whatever. Yeah, or believe. You know, there's so many people who are naysayers, mm. you know, like, oh, you can't do that. Why not? You know, like, I don't know, like, you, there's a lot of negative people about it. And I think that's like, you know, I've worked at, you know, numerous jobs, you know, but you get those people that they always want to put a negative in it, mm. you know. And it's trying to get away from those people because they'll probably do those jobs forever, you know, like, and they just want you to do it forever as well. Yeah. They're, they're afraid aren't they well it's not been a, you know there's nothing again there's nothing wrong with it you know they're comfortable but they're, they're, you know it's when you're trying to 
trying to sway someone else's like ambition or something like that you know that's that's just what I want to do yeah yeah mate I love that that's awesome alright man cool that's it thanks very much thanks so much mate I loved it thanks very much alright cheers Cheers. mate so there it is a huge thank you to Cotty for sharing his amazing story and all the amazing advice along the way. I went to Devon for New Year and got that episode recorded on the 2nd of Jan. And it was awesome to go down there. I stayed in Insto, which I can highly recommend if anyone's looking to go down there. So peaceful, so relaxed, right by the beach. It's lovely. And if you want to hear more from Cotty, you can go and follow him on Instagram at Andrew underscore Cotty. He's got some awesome stuff on there. More stuff around his practices and stuff he's doing in training. Some unbelievable images as well of him surfing these gigantic waves that just smash people to pieces. Uh, But it looks so epic when they do barrel and it's so cool. So have a look at his Instagram there. You can go to his website as well, which is andrewcotton.com. And the retreat that we spoke about briefly towards the end, you can go to surffit.life and you can see all about that there. It looks really interesting. I'm going to take a look myself. As mentioned, because it's the quarter century episode, episode 25 of Take Flight and the one year anniversary since the podcast launched, I just wanted to say a big thank you to everyone who's helped and been involved. I do do this podcast by myself, but it can't happen without help from other people and the support I get from other people. So I just really wanted to make a point of saying thank you. So firstly, thanks everybody who has listened to an episode of the podcast. Thank you to everyone who shared or screenshotted it on social media told a friend about it or gone on iTunes and rated and reviewed it it all makes a big big difference and all helps with the exposure because quite frankly podcasting is rubbish for marketing or anything like that so it's really hard for people to find it without people talking about it sharing it so thanks everyone who's listened firstly thanks everyone who's shared or spoken about it thank you to anyone who's messaged me directly honestly each message I get it makes my day it's amazing I love hearing about what the podcast has inspired you to do whether it's a physical challenge a business challenge taking a leap of faith starting your own thing whatever it might be and actually measure the success of the podcast on the number of messages that i get like this so please carry those on i love getting those thank you of course to the amazing guests who have come on the podcast 25 of you now every single episode has been epic and i've loved speaking with all of you i've loved learning from all of you more importantly i just want to say as well a special thank you to hugh thomas james whittle and tommy caulfield aka the tempest two Rob Madden, Ali Gordon, Duncan Taylor and BSG, all who committed to being on an episode of Take Flight before it even existed, before it even had listeners, before it had anything, so no real benefit to them, but gave me a chance and gave me their time for for no real reason, so thanks so much to those guys. Thank you to Lily, who designed the Take Flight logo and the podcast album cover. Thank you to Leon, who did a cheeky little animation for the launch of the podcast this time last year. You can still see that if you scroll all the way down, if you can be bothered on my Instagram. And thank you to, actually, as it happens, his brother, Simaya, who is a mate of mine from school, but more importantly, a DJ, who provided the music for the intro and outro of the podcast that you can hear in the background now. Search Simaya, S-I-M-I-A-H, to hear more of his music. He's killing it at the moment, and that's on Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you find music. Thank you to Jamie George, BSG, James Whittle, Tommy Caulfield, Ali Gordon, Naif Jones, and others who have referred me to other people who have then ended up coming on episodes of the podcast and all my other friends, family or listeners who have reached out suggesting people who they think would be great on the pod thanks so much the hardest thing about this is booking people to come on so thanks very much for that it's a massive help thank you to Lydia Millen we had Lydia on the podcast in April I think it was last year episode 10 
it was the first time the podcast went to number one in the charts and got some real exposure and we've kind of been on a bit of a roller coaster ride since then so huge huge thank you to Lydia and I've definitely forgot some people I'm sure but I imagine if you haven't switched off already you're very bored of hearing me say thank you so one last time thanks so much to everyone who's listening I'm toying with releasing an episode every Sunday in February so I'll have a go at that but until then stay positive stay motivated and take flight